I'm so glad to be here with you this morning. Congratulations for making it here in the rain. Makes it triply hard. You've gotten here and you've actually had some food and adult conversation. Yes. <laughs> Lovely. I love and respect young moms. I, you're my heroes. I see what you do. I know how hard, it, how many challenges there are, how intelligent you have to be even when you're sleep deprived and how you have to have energy even when everyone else has eaten and you haven't. And I just want you to know I remember it like it was yesterday. And, and God sees everything you do. Your works are not hidden from him. So I remember it like it was just yesterday. In fact, it actually was just yesterday because just yesterday I was playing with my three precious grandchildren whom I call, don't tell Rachel, I call them the three crazies. And... <laughs> We were, um, the two daughters and I were trying, we're playing dolls. And so there was a princess party, of course. And there were seven princesses, but no, they were fighting over one of the princesses. And yanking back and forth, and it was getting louder and louder and louder. And it was getting, it sounded like a cat fight. And I had just gotten a glass of water, and I looked at them, and I, I couldn't even yell over them, so I just poured my water on them. <laughs> and then I went... Maybe that was a bad thing to do. Do I, do I apologize? It broke up the cat fight. <laughs> yeah, so we spent a lot of time praying and apologizing and mopping up water, and then we got to have our princess party. You know, that was just what was in the moment, what was available to me. <laughs> uh, um, and I remember, as a young mom, what I struggled with. Many things, but I remember struggling with contentment and that seemed like everything was in such short supply that contentment eluded me for me it was um after we had our first one right here baby rachel she was colicky and i was clueless i had been i was one of those kids who didn't even babysit like they handed me the baby and let me out of the hospital and i go what do i do with it which end do I diaper? I mean, that was how clueless I was. Any, everyone knew more about raising kids than I did. And I was so inexperienced that when people would say, you must be so happy, I would go, huh? I was scared to death. And, and they would say, you'll just know what to do. You'll just know. <laughs> and I'm like, but what if you don't? <laughs> what do I do then? And that 24-7 responsibility, that when, you, when it lands in you and you feel like you actually can never ever sleep again because you're on duty 24 7 just all that I remember everything was in short supply there wasn't enough of anything no not enough sleep not enough time not enough wisdom not enough strength certainly not enough money we had to save for three months to buy a diaper bag and that was when they were twenty dollars were they ever twenty dollars what do they cost now like 120 so at on top of that discontentment with all of the demands was I still didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up either you know there was this whole identity thing going on at the same time so I'm a mom and everybody's saying oh you're a mom now you know you're calling in life and I'm like I felt like I wanted to be you know an ambassador to Russia or something when is that going to happen and so I was struggling with who I was as well as all these demands on me I was a discontented mess. And somewhere along the line, I came across Paul's words in Philippians. You probably know them yourself. For I have learned 
in whatever situation, to be content. And I thought, wow, Paul, you have? He said, I have learned. I have learned. I know how. I know how to do. I know how to do this. I know how to have plenty. I know how to have not enough. I've learned the secret. I'm like, I'm on tiptoe. Really? Really? Okay. Tell me. I'm ready. Wait. Let me get my pen out. What's your secret? And you get to verse 13 and he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Okay, got that? And that's it. Then he moves on in the passage. And I'm like, couldn't you have just given me a little more? Like, And so when this happens, this is how I do that. And I just thought, this verse, this verse is priceless. This is the verse. This is the truth I need right here in my Bible. And I didn't know what to do with it. I just knew I wanted to get it from the page of my Bible into my life. So, of course, I wrote it on three-by-five cards. They didn't have Post-it notes. I had children before there were Post-it notes. <laughs> it's hard to imagine such a time. So I would write it on index cards, and I would put it everywhere that I could see it, and I would memorize it, and I would chant it, and I would sing it, and I would dance to it, and I would do whatever I could to get those words into my life. But it was, it was kind of a mystical approach, or a magical approach, or maybe you could just call it the, the sound bite approach to Scripture. You know, where you just grab a book, uh, a verse out of its context, and then you, you just try to find the meaning between the words and the white spaces on the page. I didn't yet know how to go from that, that inside of Paul's deeply into my Bible to see Christ. And I have two goals in my talk today. One is to talk about contentment as a presenting problem in all of life, but in, mo in motherhood you feel it. But the second is to learn from that, how do we feed our hunger? All of our hungers that come to us every day through the pages of our Bible by seeing Christ. Because you know, Jesus is the, is the main point of scripture. All of scripture leads up to him. He came and all of scripture from there points back to what he did. How many of you um, ever were into Star Wars at any time? Okay, not very many. I'm going to use my analogy anyway. One way to understand your Bible, to look at this, this book, with the, this book we have that has 66 books in it, and all those verses, and all those various different points, some things make sense to us, others don't. Look at it as if it were a Star Wars movie. Okay, Star Wars, yeah, Star Wars came out, it riveted us back in the what? 70s? Luke Skywalker, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Yoda. I hope you I can. Princess Leia. So that the first one came out. Then, of course, we couldn't wait till the second one came out. The Empire strikes back. Am I right? And then the third one. All right. So we had it. We had the trilogy, the trilogy of the Star Wars movie. And that was the main movie. Okay? Then the writers decided, well, we better go back in time and present a prequel. So let's fill in the backstory to the main movie, backstory, prequel. And then they did three of those. Those weren't very good. I can't even remember the names. And then somebody said, oh, well, let's do a sequel. 
So they've started doing that. They've done one. They're going to be doing three for the sequel. And now they're going off into side movies. Well, our Bibles are like that in the sense that the main, the main action of our Bible is in, actually in the Gospels, right? The Gospels. When Christ came, he was born. He lived the perfect life, sinless. He died the atoning death. And he was raised from the dead. Then goes a little bit into Acts when he ascends. That's the main action of the Bible. The prequel is the Old Testament. If you think everything important happened in the Gospels, happened in the person and work of Christ, the prequel points us. The prequel points us there. It fills in the backstory. So you're always reading your Old Testament going, oh, wait a minute, I think I see Jesus there because that just talked about, here I am, Lord. I'm your servant. That's what Jesus did. Jesus was the guy who did that right. Everything, everything in the Old Testament, stuff you haven't even thought about, points to Jesus because he fulfilled it. And then all the acts in the epistles point back to Jesus. So Paul says, I've learned the secret of contentment. It's Christ. Everything that we're called to do in our Christian life flows out of our life in Christ. So we don't need to obey all those commands in the New Testament on our own. They all flow from the life of Christ in us by his spirit. So it's important that we keep those connected and remember what the main story is. I've gone way off what I was planning to say today. I hope you're going to give me an hour and a half. Okay, let's look at our passage. If you would, if you have a Bible, otherwise just listen. We're going to read Philippians 4, 10 to 13. Philippians 4, starting in verse 10. Paul's wrapping up his letter to the Philippians. He loves them. They're the church he feels so affectionate toward. And they just sent him some money to help him because he was in need in Rome. And so he writes to them, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every cir circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pray. Father, once again, we bring ourselves to you. And we ask you to please open our minds to understand your word. Open our hearts to receive the love of Christ for us today. Open our wills, our action to know how does this look in our lives? Would you please teach us, Holy Spirit, Thank you that you live in us today. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll unpack this uh, topic, becoming a contented girl in a hungry world, in three points. Me, Paul, and Jesus. Three points. Me, my hungry world. Paul, Paul's secret. Jesus, Jesus' strength. 
discontentment. My, in my hungry world, one of the important things for me to be able to do is to recognize my discontentment. Discontentment is one of the whole, many soul hungers we experience as moms. The first step in addressing any hunger is to recognize it. If I don't know I'm hungry, I won't go looking for food. I'll just act weird. <laughs> right? Hangry? You didn't know you were hungry till you lashed out, and then you go, ah, ah, okay, I'm hangry. Oh, I'm hungry. No. And you'll get food. So that's kind of the way our souls are. Our souls don't always recognize what's going on in us. So I, I, I was walking the other morning, and I, was, I had been distracted to death by social media and promoting the book. I, I want you to know that becoming an author does not mean that the end, end to those distractions. It just makes it worse. I was hoping that walking the dog would clear my mind, but I kept thinking of one more thing to do, one more tweet I need to do. Oh, no, I should have, I should have retweeted that. Oh, I need to send that email. Oh, that Facebook thing. I've got to go ahead and... Yeah. Really? I had all that stuff on my mind? Yes. Because writing a book didn't make me content. I keep waiting for that one thing that's going to come along. It's going to make me content. It didn't. And getting it published did not make me content. Now I need to become a success. Now I need to write another book. How many books have you written? You're, I mean, that comparison game, that discontentment, it's there no matter what. My contentment was beginning to ride the roller coaster of media numbers. I realized as I walked with the dog that I needed the very t teaching that I was preparing to bring to you all today. So I began to meditate on it for myself. What area or areas in your life do you need contentment in? Write down any thoughts you have. I, by the way, did you guys get the handout? Oh, okay. Oh, okay, good. Well, you'll just... You can think about this. This will give you a, you can talk about it later. Write down any area, or think about any area in your life if, that you feel discontentment about, and that stirred discontentment in you. Um, I was going to say wanting to get married, wanting to have a child, wrong questions for this group. <laughs> wanting to own a home, wanting to have your own place, possibly just needing help with all the p things that are pa stacking up. Wanting to get a better job a better car, a better life, wanting to feel better, look better, act better, be better. What area in your life, as I say these things, your mind is going and something's jumping up and going, me, me, me. And if you can't think of any one thing, it's okay. Second question. How is the world around you contributing to your discontentment? Our, our personal culture, our personal struggles are always affected by the world around us. In American culture, in DC culture, there are specific things that are going to push your buttons on that. And always, I used to beat myself up over struggling with uh, discontentment in certain areas. And then I realized well, with individualism and selfish ambition, and I realized that really the nature of American culture that I lived in was feeding that all the time, and media was bombarding me. And so it was helpful to realize that the prompts were there all the time. So become aware, become aware,
before the Lord, where do I struggle with contentment? How is the world around me contributing to that? Our culture tends to reinforce our personal hunger for better circumstances. They're always parading better circumstances in front of us. Uh, it's not just marketing. It's every show that we watch where how many set designers and hairdressers and makeup artists and fashion consultants have put that scene together that you're watching, even though they might be trying to act like just slugs or whatever the, the main point of that TV show is. They've been put together by, by a vast army of resources. Media tends to only show successes. And I know that you ladies probably have more experience in this than I do, but those Pinterest moments, those Facebook moments that are put up tend to just be our successes. So that's what we're bombarded with. Marketing. How are they going to make their money unless they make us discontent, right? That's their goal. We have people out there, they wake up in the morning, their goal is to make you discontent. That's what you're up against. Social media sells an image, the omnicompetent woman. DIY projects become an identity. Technology expands our potential and takes away our excuses. What excuse do you have? You have access to the internet. You should know everything, do everything, be able, be empowered. I, I can know all, be all, and have it all, and if I don't, I'm just a loser. I feel like a loser a lot with all these options. The latest Apple ad, the latest Google Play or Samsung or whatever. Even if we unplug, we get drawn in. Because our discontentment is stirred by our neighborhood. That person's Christmas decorations. And I look at my little strand of lights that I had to nag my husband to put up. And it looks, it looks pathetic. It looks Charlie Brownish. My friend's bumper sticker. My child is a superstar at blankety-blank elementary school. Even the contents of the grocery cart in front of me, which might contain things I can't afford or my diet won't let me eat. I hope some lights are coming on for you. Can you see what's making you discontent right now and why it feels so strong? We're up against something bigger than we thought. So awareness of hunger is what is the first step. And it's good to be aware. Why? Because you can bring it to the Lord. The purpose of our hungers is to bring it. God gives us hunger so we can bring it to him. And I've sat down with my Bible sometimes and on the top of the page it's written, Lord, I'm a mess. I don't even know what I feel. I think I'm hungry, but I don't know for what. Would you please diagnose me? Would you please tell me? And would you please just speak to that? Thank you. And then I read my Bible. And you know what? He does. He's so faithful. The simple things of bringing yourself to him. Let's define discontentment. So what is discontentment? Um, I have a little on your, on your handout that you don't have, which is probably good. That must be God didn't want you to have these words in front of you. A simple definition. Discontentment happens when my heart tries to find my happiness in my circumstances. When my heart tries to find my happiness in my circumstances. From that, we get three things. Discontentment is a heart issue. Discontentment is somewhat a natural issue, is a natural action. It's, 
And it's also a sinful issue. It's a hard issue. It's somewhat natural, but it also can be sinful. All right? Discontentment is a hard issue because it's my heart searching for a place to rest, right? And it's searching for a place to be happy in my circumstances. And it flutters until it finds a place. Oh, that clean closet. <sighs> I'm content for this moment. I'm, a, I'm kind of a cleaning person. So discontentment is a hard issue. That's what we're going to be looking at. In some ways, it's about what I want and how am I going to get it. Happiness is my goal and circumstances, changing my circumstances are the means. Discontentment in many ways is kind of just a natural response, okay? Discontentment is natural. I mean, it's when things are good, I'm happy. When things are bad, I'm not happy. That's nature. Discontentment means when I've had food, when, when I'm hungry and I get food, I'm happy, I'm content. I mean, there's a certain cause and effect that's not sinful. It's natural. What I'm trying to say is not every discontentment is sinful at the beginning. It's like, yes, you're hungry. You do need food. Eat, you're going to be content. Your stomach will be content. That's a good thing. Tim, Paul even said in Timothy, if we have food and clothing, let's be content. Because those are natural, normal needs, and God wants to meet them. Right? Food, clothing, we can be content. We have those needs. But third, discontentment is a hard issue. It's natural. Discontentment is sinful. It's sinful because my baseline expectations are always rising. Okay? What I used to be happy with doesn't satisfy me anymore. Now, once you have food and clothing, let's be content. Well, I've got food and clothing, but now I want and then I get that, and now I want, right? Why is it that my level of expectation rises and it's harder and harder to be content? Well, it's because I'm no longer using things, I'm loving things. I'm no longer using, I'm no longer just using my house as a place to live, I'm loving my house. My house has become what satisfies me. I'm looking for contentment for my happiness, source of happiness in this thing or this circumstance. Then what happens is that thing has become too important to my happiness, right? So discontentment is heart, natural, and sinful. What then is contentment? Simple definition that kind of flows from the first one. Contentment happens when my heart disconnects, I'm picture unplugging, disconnects my happiness from my circumstances. That's all I'm going to go so far in that one. There's going to be more later. Contentment happens when my heart pulls the plug by not connecting my happiness to my circumstances. That makes sense, right? I was plugged into my circumstances for my happiness. So when my circumstances went wrong, my contentment went down. And when they went well, my contentment went up. So if I can somehow unplug my heart from my circumstances, that's going to help, right? But how in the world do I do that? I've got this empty plug. Picture it. I'm going to hold it up here. Okay. <laughs> 
I detach, do it, can I detach myself from the world and just turn off all the social media and stay inside my house? No, it doesn't work and it wouldn't be good anyway. You're supposed to get out there and love people. Should I just lower my expectations? Sometimes that helps, but that's not the only answer. Shall I? What I need to do is not detach and not just lower my expectations, but I need to channel my desires in a new direction. I need to take this plug I just pulled out of my circumstances and plug it in somewhere else, right? And what God wants is not for me to love things or circumstances. He wants me to plug into him, to his love. And I'm going to say, plug into Christ. Contentment happens when my heart disconnects my happiness from my circumstances and plugs my joy, my happiness, my source into Christ. And I'm saying Christ on purpose. I believe in the work, the, the triune work of our salvation. It's God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working together to save us. As I, but Christ, because he came in the flesh and we have his sinless life to look at, he's the one we can plug into because we're given a bunch of details of his life and we can enter into knowing him in more detail than we could enter into the Father, because we can't even see the Father. The Spirit lives in us. We can't see Him. We experience Him. But Christ, we can see on the pages of Scripture. And He can come to life for us, and we can share a relationship with Him through that. All right. Got it. Unplug your happiness from here. Plug it in over here. Set. All done. Everybody go home. Have a good day. No. There's some diagnosis there, but how do we do this? How do we do this? We can talk about what discontentment is. We can talk about our hungry world. We can start to see it in ourselves. But where do we go from there? Well, let's go to Paul now. Paul's secret. Paul has learned the secret of being content. How can we learn from Paul? Now, there are two ways of looking at the Apostle Paul. And I don't know about you, but I typically look at Paul as the hero of the Bible. You know, he's the hero of all his letters. I mean, seriously, what do I have in common with the, the Apostle Paul? Paul's calling was far more heroic than mine. He, it's kind of like watching an episode of Survivor versus an episode of Full House. You know, Paul is Survivor against all odds. He's got all these things that happen to him, and I'm just called to be a mom. You know, what comparison? Paul's struggles were more heroic than mine. His struggles were media-worthy. 2 Corinthians 11 tells us about him. Do you know he was beaten with lashes, 39 lashes? Do you know why it was 39? Because you weren't supposed to beat a guy, because they wanted to make sure they didn't break the law of going 40, so they'd stop one short, 40 lashes. He was beaten with 39 lashes five times. He was beaten with rods, I'm not sure if that was better or worse, three times. He was stoned just once. <laughs> Shipwrecked three times. Can you imagine, you know, give a Titanic incident? Do that three times. He was adrift at sea one time. Well, that was enough. Well, that makes me feel like a wimp. My kids were sick with flu five times. The dog poops indoors three times. And the washer overflows once, well, once this week. So I'm comparing myself with Paul, and I think Paul's a superhero. Paul's 
circumstances, his calling was greater, his struggles were greater, and Paul's wisdom is greater than mine. I mean, he says, I've learned the secret of being content. Well, Paul went up to the third heaven and learned things he can't even tell us. Paul saw the risen Christ. Okay, he's like a guru. He's the inside guy. What do I have to learn from him? His example of contentment blows me away, makes me want to try harder or quit. I assume that the Apostle Paul, the hero, has something special that I don't have. He gives me a secret. It doesn't even make sense. I write it on an index card. Done. But do you see, Paul is not the superhero we can't relate to because God puts every person in the Bible in order to say, he's just like you. Remember Elijah? Remember Elijah? Pray like Elijah did. Yeah, yeah, but Elijah was like a prophet. He prayed seven times for it to not rain, and it didn't. And then he prayed for it to rain, and it did. James says, yeah, Elijah's just like you. Pray like Elijah. Paul's just like you. Learn from Paul. He's your fellow sufferer. Paul's struggle with contentment was just as real as yours and mine. It was not fun, all these things. Just because he has a longer list of ways he suffered, he's still just like us. He's a fellow struggler. He never felt like a superhero. He felt weak. How do we know? Because he said, I feel weak. I hate being weak. My thorn in the flesh, take it away. I hate this. And Christ said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. We know Paul felt weak and he hated his weakness. We know Paul struggled with discontentment. So when Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content, he's not pointing to himself as someone who has his act together. He's pointing to the one who taught him the secret. What we can be certain is that Paul had never never licked the problem of contentment on his own. He's just learned where to go for help. And that's what kept him from quitting. Paul's secret is this. Jesus is the true hero. Paul's not our hero, Jesus is. Paul's secret is available to every believer. Every believer has been united with Christ and is like this with his Christ. Vine branches. Every believer is united to Christ and it's in Christ that our strength is. Where's the emphasis? In this verse, I can do all things through Christ, through him who gives me strength. You have prosperity preachers who will say, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. You have other speakers who will emphasize the all things. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. But Paul is looking to the true hero and he says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Through him who gives me strength. Jesus is the one who has the strength. Jesus is the generous one who gives us his strength. Jesus not only has strength to give us, Jesus himself had to learn contentment. So here's a quick, a quick way. We're going to go from Paul now to Jesus. Paul's secret is that he didn't look at himself, he looked at Jesus. And Paul, like every, 
every part of the Bible points to Jesus. So in, my, in the first edition of my book, there's a bookmark. And the bookmark gives you eight shortcuts for getting to Jesus in your Bible. Okay? And on the back, it says, how does Jesus... Do I see a character in the passage I'm reading today that's a hero or a villain or a sinner or a sufferer? Do I see any one of those guys? Hero, villain, sinner, or sufferer. And as I read... Philippians 4, 10 through 13, Paul looks like a hero to me because Paul has learned the secret of contentment. And he is. I'm not, I don't want to minimize what Paul has learned and what he's offering us. Paul looks like the hero here. So now my question is, how does Jesus exceed this person's heroic words, heroic words, actions, or virtues? How is Jesus a better hero than Paul? How is Jesus a better hero than Paul? That's how we let Paul's words take us to Jesus. Let's look for a moment at Jesus' strength. How did Jesus learn the secret of contentment himself? And how did Jesus have that secret to give to us, that strength to give to us? Hang on. I forgot. I was supposed to make it so that my screen didn't go dark. Jesus is our hero, and Jesus is our help. He's our hero before he's our help. We look to him to be our savior before we look to him as an example or any other thing. How does Jesus give us his strength? This is not a question of what would Jesus do. I'm not looking at Jesus' life to go, Jesus did it that way, I need to just go copy him. I need to be Christ-like by doing what he did. There's a place for that, but that's not the first place to go. The first place to go is how was Jesus my savior here? How did Jesus rescue me from this? All right. Jesus is our hero because he didn't just send his strength for our contentment from above. You guys look like you're struggling down there. Need some strength from me? Okay, no problem. I can get it to you faster than Amazon. All right. Jesus doesn't, didn't stay aloof from us in order to give us his strength for our contentment. Jesus came down into our hungry world and lived a hungry life. And Jesus had to learn contentment one day at a time, just like we do. It's a little bit mind-blowing. We're getting into the whole, yeah, but he was God. Yeah, but he was man. It's really hard. We, but if we, we don't want to exceed what Scripture says, but Scripture says these things. Scripture said that although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Can you picture Jesus learning through his life? Learning the scriptures? He wasn't born with the Bible in his head. He had to learn the scriptures the way you teach your children. He had to learn to worship. He had to learn the word of God. He had to learn to obey. He had to learn to be weak. He had to learn to be content mind-blowing, isn't it? Scripture says he had to learn obedience through what he suffered, and Scripture says he was tempted in every way, just like us, but he didn't cross the line into sin, all right? But he was tempted. So when you're tempted to be discontent, Jesus is right there with you. He was tempted, and he wants to help you before you step into the sin zone with that. And he would love to help you not sin because that's a, that's a victory, isn't it? 
But if you do sin, he died for that sin. So it's a win-win. Jesus, the life, the incarnation, the sinless life, the atoning death, and the victorious resurrection of Jesus help me in my struggles with contentment today. Every one of those points is relevant. His incarnation, he was born. He came into my hungry world. God, who was never hungry, became a baby who had to cry for food and be fed by someone else. Wow. He lived a sinless life, but not like Teflon man. Sin didn't, temptation didn't roll off of him. He had human emotions. He had, he had moments where he was tempted, really tempted. It wasn't just play acting. I don't know how that works with his being sinless, but it does. So in his sinless life, he lived one day at a time, one moment at a time, one stage of life at a time. He was a baby. He was a toddler. He was an older brother. He had younger siblings who probably bugged him at times. He never sinned in being a bossy older brother, but what would, how would that look? How was he tempted with that? He lived a human life. He was so hungry at times that he probably wanted to dig into dinner before they said their prayers. He would have had to fight that. He would have had to fight the temptations. We know of one time that he, was, that he learned contentment and that he fought hunger at its worst when he was in the wilderness. Hunger tests us, right? When we're hungry, we're at our worst. Don't ask me, kids, I'm hungry, right? Right? Jesus voluntarily fasted for 40 days and 40 nights so that he could endure the temptations of the devil at his lowest point. He went to his worst place so that his victory would matter to every one of us who's at our lowest point. Adam fell in the garden. Adam was in a garden surrounded by trees he could eat. He was tempted, Adam and Eve. Adam's sin brought down the race. Adam sinned, couldn't endure temptation in the garden. Jesus was victorious over temptation in the wilderness. And Satan didn't come to him once. He had to come to him three times because Jesus didn't fall the first time. If it had been Adam in the garden or you and me and he'd said, turn, that, turn those rocks into bread, you were going, I'm on it. If you'd had the power to do it, you would have done it. I would have too. Jesus didn't. He felt hungry. He was tempted, but he didn't. He did that for you and for me. He did that because, one, he needed to know what it felt like to be hungry and to be tempted so that you could run to him when you're tempted. And, two, he needed to win that battle so that today, when you lose that battle, he can say, child, not only do I forgive you, but that day that I won, that's your righteousness today. I've died for your sin of discontentment, and I am here to clothe you in my perfect record of having done it right, because I did it for you. And so we have freedom in our struggles that when we get it wrong, the answer is so complete. And that motivates us to keep 
trying to obey, doesn't it? It just clears away all that mess. You don't think, here's the 15th time I've done this. I know I'm going to fail. Because those other 14 times are gone. They're gone. They're forgiven and you're clothed in his righteousness as if you had done it right every time. Today's a brand new slate. You have his spirit. Today, go to him and learn from him. Say, Lord, what was your secret? That day when, I remember that day, Lord, when you didn't have enough to eat. How did you do that? Would you by your spirit give me understanding? How did you trust God that day? So, feeding on Jesus' strengths means we go from our struggle to the words of Paul, which were given for us, to the, the, the life of Jesus. Because Jesus was born and lived and died and rose and ascended for us. To solve, to give us his strength for every problem that we face. I was thinking about this the other day. Um, see where we are on this. I think I should be wrapping up. Everything he earned and learned, he gives to me. Why? Because he has it to give. Because he's gracious and loves to give. Because he's generous and has plenty to give. Everything he earned and learned, he gives to me. That's why I can say, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Through him, his life, his death, he has it to give and he's generous and he gives it. And why does he give it to me? Because he loves me. That's why. Paul came to know he was loved. And each of us, as we walk through these days, and the next chapter will be a little different, we're going to walk through, God wants to say, I love you. I love you. I sent my son for you. Christ wants to say, I love you. I know what it feels like to be hungry, to, be dis- to struggle with discontent. I am your victor. I am your savior. I will make you like me one day at a time. If we have food and clothing, let's be content. I um I was on the when I was flying here <laughs> so the flight didn't quite go like we hoped. Um left Tucson at seven AM, got got to Houston at nine. There were thunder severe thunderstorms, like like a solid line between Houston and the East Coast. Every flight was delayed. And we were delayed ten hours eventually. And I got in at three in the morning and I got to bed at four in the morning. Yeah, so it wasn't fun. So in the midst of this whole thing, you know, I'm, going, I'm reading, I'm done reading my book. Fortunately, I didn't have a small child with me. I looked at the two moms and the two small children. I thought, I am, I, this is, I'm on vacation right now, and they're not. So I did put it into perspective that way. But, um, you know, along the way, and I was thinking, what, you know, what's, the po- what's the point of this? And, and finally went, oh, I'm talking about contentment. Maybe I should, maybe I should like, apply it right now. <laughs> And I thought, okay, yeah, I'm kind of, I mean, I'm, yeah, I want to get there. I'm not feeling, I'm not liking this. I'm not feeling real happy. So what's, and then because I've been studying this, scripture was right there. It came in mind. If you have food and clothing, 
then be content. And I went, oh, well, that's pretty cool. That's a short list. I'm closed. I just bought, I, they just let us off the plane. We've been sitting at the gate on the plane like forever. They just let us off. I bought food. Yeah, I'm hungry. I'm going to eat my food. I've got food and clothing. I got it. I'm content. And then later, the Lord said, I was, I was listening about that. I, how, why was that verse so powerful in my life in that moment? God's word came to me. Paul wrote it to Timothy. If you have food and clothing, be content. And I started, it's just like all at once, the Holy Spirit brought these, my understanding of the gospels to it. And I thought, Jesus didn't even have a home. He was homeless. Remember that day when somebody said, we want to follow you? And he said, foxes have their holes, but I don't even have a place to lay my head. You want to follow me? You want to be homeless? That's what you're in for. So I thought, Jesus, but he had food and clothing. He had food and clothing. How do I know that? Because he taught us to say, look at the, look at the lilies of the field. Look at how the Father clothes them. Look at the birds. Look at how the Father feeds them. And I thought, I bet he learned that one day at a time. I bet there was a day when the penny dropped on that one for him. And so he has given us that truth, that secret is coming through us, to us through his word. As I see my Savior go, going into living color, as I meditate on his life and I think, he struggled with that. When did he learn something? Ooh, food and clothing. I can use that verse right now, sitting on this airplane for the 10th hour, not taking off, and going, I have food and clothing. And you've just made me content by your spirit. Your word has been powerful, because your word points me to you. We're going to spend some time in your, in your small groups. Um, did, the, did the questions come? Okay, perfect. So yeah, just think about this, talk about this, and help each other to apply it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you love us, that you sent your son for us. Jesus, thank you so much for entering our hungry world and being willing to be weak and hungry and being willing to learn obedience through what you suffered for us. Thank you for your sinless perfect life that you hand to us when we believe. Thank you for atoning for every tiny or large moment of discontentment in our lives. Spirit of the living God, you live in us. Would you please make this truth live in our lives? Take these scriptures, feed us with them today. Bless these women. In Jesus' name, amen.